Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. direct your attention today to the book of Acts chapter 17 and then we'll be going to the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 to get our bearing today. The topic I, I, I want to preach to you today is near and dear to my heart because I have found the benefit and the blessing that God has provided to us through repentance, repentance. I want to talk to you about repentance revealed today. And it is such an important biblical topic, but it is rather such a wonderful topic to those that have come to live and understand the repented lifestyle. Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commendeth all men everywhere to repent. Commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Who do you think the Lord wants to repent today? All of us. All of men. If all of men has been given the opportunity to repent, then all men has the opportunity to be saved. I'm sorry, that kind of throws the, the, the water on, on uh, once saved, always saved, and limited atonement, and select and elect. It's for all men. I'm glad that includes me. Can you love the Lord today? Lord, we thank you, God, for the opportunity that we have to study your word. Help us, God, to handle your word with care. Help us, Lord, to serve our gift with care, with anointing today. Would you bless this congregation? May your word come alive to us. Let there be revelation, Father, that flows to our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, we say amen. Repentance revealed. The Lord bless you. You can be seated. There are a host of differences in culture, in races, in living styles around the world. People live differently. They have different habits. They have different culture and customs. But there's one thing that is universal, and that is sin. Sin is universal. The world and its Babylon system of thinking would have us believe that secularism is the remedy for this problem, though they will not call it sin. Yet sin thrives 
in secular-driven cultures. The Bible says that we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark. We've come short of the will of God. We've come short of the purpose of God. Since sin is universal, then the call to repentance must be universal. All men, all people, everyone should repent. It is essential. Repentance is essential not only to salvation, but to daily walking in the will of the Lord. The Bible calls us to repentance repeatedly. The Bible said, repent ye and believe the gospel, Mark chapter 1. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance that we read from 2 Peter. The goodness of God leads us to repentance, Romans chapter 2. We are commanded to repent in Acts 17 that we read today. Amen. The Bible said that he would give us a space of repentance, 2 Timothy 2. Except ye repent, you will perish, Luke 13. Godly sorrow worketh repentance, 2 Corinthians 7. Peter said that we are to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said that he called sinners to repentance. We know that repentance and remission of sins was to begin preaching in Jerusalem. Paul preached, repent. Amen. Peter preached, repent. John the Baptist preached, repent. Jesus preached, repent. Repentance is a part of the kingdom gospel. God has granted to us an opportunity to repent. And that is a privilege, dear one. That is an honor. It is a blessing. It is the mercy of God that has provided you and provided me the opportunity of repentance. When we begin to examine Acts chapter 17 that we read, I think it's important to know the backstory so you know exactly what Paul is dealing with when he says that everyone should repent. If we examine chapter 17, you will find the apostle Paul is at Athens waiting for the arrival of Timothy and Silas. The idolatry that was around Paul in the city of Athens began to provoke his spirit. Righteous anguish and indignation began to rise up over the condition that that was prevalent in Athens. The King James says that it was a city wholly given to idolatry. The ESV says the city was full of idols. I like what Eugene Peterson said when he said the city was a junkyard of idols a junkyard of idols. John MacArthur writes in one of his uh, uh, articles, he said that some historians said that Athens at the time of Paul was the intellectual center and the university of the world. The minds of that part of the world congregated in Athens. In fact, it was such a proud city that it even called its university the Eye of Greece and the Mother of Arts. One of the ancient writers uh, uh, wrote and said that there was at this time 30,000 gods celebrated in Athens. 30,000 gods. 
Athens offered a home to the to, to most, almost every God imaginable and in existence. Uh, in a place called the Pantheon, you may have heard of it, everything uh, uh, was built for all the gods to honor the gods. And, and, and they had every god there represented by some form or another. Public buildings that had statues out front of them were celebrating gods, shrines to gods, temples to God. Everywhere you look, uh, there was some kind of recognition of a god. Athens was also a place where the world-renowned thinkers and philosophers would come from. Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle all came from Athens. Paul, when he saw the condition of his world in Athens, it stirred his spirit. But he didn't just stir his spirit, he did something about it. He started going to the Jewish synagogue and reasoned with the Jews there. He started going to the marketplace where the people would gather and debate and discuss philosophy and all kinds of religion. And so he would find his place there. There were two significant philosophers that came from Athens. <coughs> Epicurus, the founder of Epicureanism, and Zeno, the father of Stoicism, two of the dominant philosophies of his day. Matter of fact, I want to pick up the narrative in the Word of God so you know the story in Acts chapter 17. <coughs> Verse 18 says, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans, now Epicureans were existential atheists, which, which means that they, they sought truth by experience rather than by reasoning or truth alone. And their ultimate goal was pleasure, Epicureans and the Stoics who were pantheists and that was everything was God. So he's dealing with the group that, that there is no God and dealing with the group that everything is God. And some said, what will this babbler say? And some, he seems to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Aeropagus. I like that pronunciation. Saying, may we know that this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is, for thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the atheans and the, uh, and the strangers and which were there spent their time in nothing else, in nothing else, but in either tell to tell or to hear something new. So you got all these people sitting around and they're just talking philosophy and, and talking religion and going on and on and on because they had nothing else to do. Does that sound like our day? Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and this is what he said. Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too suspicious. What is he saying? He said, you are very serious about your religions, aren't you? For as I passed by and beheld your devotion, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare unto you. Do you realize what a slam that was? 
all these hoity-toity intellectual types with their uppity thinking and their elitism, all these university professors and philosophers uh, sitting there debating over uh, existentialism and, 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 and atheism and pantheism and all the other ism they're debating. And he says, let me tell you that y'all are ignorant. You ignorantly worship him, declare unto you, God that made the world, all things therein. You can worship all these 30,000 others, but there's only one God, one creator, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, that dwelleth not in temples made with hands. All your statues, all your temples, it means nothing. Neither is worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Our God is self-existent. His existence doesn't depend on anything outside of himself. His existence does not depend on anything around us. Amen. Everything else depends on something else you and I depend on something the world depends on something God does not depend on anything because he is God self-existent one seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things and hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the, the times before appointed it and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord, if haply they may feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said. For you are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, ye ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold, or silver, or stone, graven by art and man's devices. And the times of this ignorance, God winked at. God winked at your ignorance, but now he commands you everywhere repent. Now the Bible tells us that there were many that received him. Many got it. Many believed. Many repented. But there was, I'm sure, some of those that were saying, who's this guy telling us about our gods and, and declaring to us, repent? I want to say today, if we focus on this, this thing called repentance, is that there was a time that God winked at ignorance. But when understanding and revelation happens to all, when God begins to bring forth the message, there must be a response. Why? There's a day coming. Paul said, an appointed day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Why do I want to repent? Yeah, I want my life to be right, but I want my life to be right because judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming. I need to repent. John the Baptist showed up on the scene, and what was his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. John introduced uh, these Pharisees and Sadducees. He, he, he introduced them to the concept of true repentance by calling them a new generation of vipers. He looked at them one day and he said, bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. John the Baptist was a repentance preacher. 
John the Baptist was a rough repentance preacher. Jesus Christ was a repentance preacher. Jesus came preaching grace and mercy and truth, but he also was a repentance preacher. It doesn't matter what your style, it doesn't matter what your background, you may be Paul at Mars Hill, you may be uh, uh, John the Baptist uh, at the Jordan River, but the message is, is the same. Repent, every man, everywhere, every woman, every man, repent, 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 repent. It's an interesting statement that John the Baptist said when he says, bring forth fruit, meat for repentance, worthy of repentance. Live different. Repent, then live different. Repent, and then live different. Can I tell you, repentance is a God doctrine. Repentance is a kingdom doctrine. One cannot be saved without repentance. One cannot go to heaven without repentance. One cannot boldly come into the presence of the king without repentance. One cannot receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit without repentance. Repentance is a change of thought. It's a change of work. It's a change of behavior. It's a change of attitude. It's not just a declaration, oh, I'm sorry, but rather it is a mindset change. Amen. If thinking determines culture, then repentance will determine your change. If this world says think one way, the kingdom of God says repent and think another way. Hallelujah. We find that Esau sought repentance though with bitter tears, but he found no place of repentance. Why? Because he couldn't change his thinking. He couldn't change his actions. I've watched folks over the years that have cried crocodile tears, filled puddles on the altar, only to get up and go a different way, never walking in truth because they did something with their voice, but they did not follow it with their feet and with their hands. It is Jesus Christ that says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repentance means change your mind. Start looking a way that God starts working and doing. Take a whole new perspective. Amen. We need repentance today, not just for the center, but also for those that have been born again that must realign themselves with God, realign themselves with what he says. That's what repentance is. This morning, it's very easy when we talk about topic of repentance, about thinking about our neighbor, about thinking about our sister, about thinking about our brother, about thinking about those that are around us that de they, de boy, they need to repent. Man, Sister Sally Q, if she just get right, she needs to repent. Uh-huh. But this morning, let's make it self-examination. Let's, let's turn the light on ourself. Uh, real repentance produces real change. After repentance, one will demonstrate fruits of repentance by their actions. Amen. Fruits by their actions. Amen. We find in Acts chapter 26 and verse 20, it says, but show first unto them at Damascus and at Jerusalem and through all of the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and 
do works meet for repentance. The word meet here means proper, that which is worthy. If there's a proper way of repentance, then there is an improper way of repentance. If there is a suitable way of repentance, then there is an unsuitable way of repentance. Here's the key. Repentance will always produce repentance fruit. It will always produce something that, that is about change in the heart of an individual. Ephesians 4 and 28, Paul said, let him that stole steal no more. What are you saying? You've repented, stop stealing. I know this is deep. I know this is heavy, but it's very clear. You, you, you repent a line, what are you supposed to do? Quit lying. Amen. You repent of, of bearing false witness. What do you do? <laughs> Stop bearing false witness. You repent of a, heart, a sorry attitude. Gossiping, lying, cheating, stealing, carousing, and conniving, and, 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 and you name the list, whatever it is, you repent of that. Let me just stop here and tell you, your repentance does not have one power about you being forgiven because it's the work of Jesus Christ that forgives you of your sin. Repentance doesn't do anything but change your thinking to align with the word of God and to say, if I'm going to live right, then I'm going to have to have the power. It is the grace of God that forgives and sets us free but it is repentance that puts us on a course of victory and overcoming and, and glory to God let him that steal don't steal anymore and then he says you need to stop with quit stealing he said get a J-O-B Look at that, Ephesians 4.28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good. I'm just going to leave that right there for a while. Just, just, just think on that for just a minute. Here's the thing you, you and I need to know about repentance. If a person does not truly change, they have not truly repented. I want, to, I want to touch on a couple things to, to just make sure we put it in perspective. Repentance and forgiveness are two different things. Forgiveness is what God does when we repent. He forgives. God forgives, then we decide to change based on that forgiveness. Real repentance is accompanied by change that aligns with God's grace and truth. Now, there's a lot of people that have confused repentance with remorse. I'm remorseful. I'm sad. I'm remorseful. Hmm. But there must be something more than emotion. There's got to be something that brings us to that point of repentance. Acts chapter 2, verse 37, when Peter was preaching the Pentecost message of Acts 2, then the Bible says that when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Conviction came by the word of God, and they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? The word pick, pricked here means to pierce, to pain the mind sharply, to agitate the mind sharply. It messed with their thinking. They were confronted with a whole new understanding of who they are. 
Yes, they were no doubt emotion, emotional. Emotions are good. But notice mistake emotions for repentance. Because this is what Peter said. Their heart is pricked. They've got conviction. So what do they do? Then Peter said unto them, repent, repent, repent. Change your mind. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So what he said is that don't just get emotional about this thing. Don't just have a, a good feeling because you've been forgiven. But change your mind. Change your course about face. Amen. I want to tell somebody today, you may have been baptized 45 years ago. You may have had the Holy Ghost for 45 years. You still need repentance. I still need repentance because sometimes I get off course. Sometimes I get astray. And what repentance does is it puts me back in line with God. And I got to get my mind straight with God. Oh, thank God for his grace. His grace not only saved me, but it keeps me. Align me. Paul said to those intellectual types, he said, it's a time God waked at your ignorance, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. You can't be in this thing. I, I appreciate heritage. Heritage doesn't save you. Memorizing scripture don't save you. Knowing uh, stuff doesn't save you. Having an education doesn't save you, but being dumb doesn't save you. What saves you is the power of Jesus Christ that leads us to repentance. Let's talk about some things that repentance is. Repentance is. I believe that repentance must begin with a sincere broken heart. A sincere broken heart that accompanies repentance. Look at Psalm chapter 38 and verse number 3. This is David talking about his feeling with sin and, and shame and the need of repentance. He said, there's no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over mine head. As a heavy burden, they're too, too heavy for me. Verse 6, I'm troubled and I'm bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. Then in verse 18 it says, For I will declare my iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. Does that sound like somebody that's emotional? Sound like somebody that has some feelings? I believe that sincere brokenness must accompany repentance. Not just crocodile tears, but sincerely feeling the weight of where you are. If you're a child of God, you need to feel the weight. I need to feel the weight of getting back in alignment with the Lord. Paul puts this up to the church of Corinth, and he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 8, For though I made you sorry with the letter, I do not repent, though I did repent, and I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it was but, but, but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but you sorrowed to repentance. 
for you have made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. Here's the key. For godly sorrow worketh repentance. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. Somebody say amen. amen. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, the selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. Amen. Yeah, I want to show you this right here. All you English scholars, could you tell me what that is? It's an exclamation point. Is that right? English scholars, am I, am I correct? That doesn't need any Greek understanding. You don't have to know the Hebrew. Don't have to search a commentary to know that this is Paul and God anointing Paul to write and putting a exclamation to it. Yay! He says, what carefulness. It wrought in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What revenge. He's serious about this. In all things ye have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. Wow. He says, first of all, it's godly sorrow that worketh repentance and not worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is, is about remorse and grief because of the consequences of sin. God, worldly sorrow is grief and remorse because of the consequences. Oh, I got in trouble. Everybody knows it now. I did this, you know. I got caught. Uh, you know, they passed me by on the street in the bubble. Uh, you know, the light's going off and I got caught. Godly sorrow, on the other hand, is anguish because sin is sin and I've come short of the glory of God. Godly sorrow works to repentance. And so it not only works to repentance, but it brings some things with true repentance. I've preached this before, but I want to carry it a little bit further here today. Amen. True repentance is not just crying tears one time and saying, I'm going to get up and everything's okay. Well, the Lord forgiven me yes he has but are you walking in the revelation of true repentance the first thing he said is what carefulness what carefulness the Greek word here is spudie which means with all dispatch with speed with haste with diligence with earnestness carefulness is responding quickly to the convicting voice of God true repentance is repentance that says I hear you Lord and I'm not putting off to next Sunday what I can do right now. I'm not putting off to next week, and, and one of these days I'll repent, but I'm going to do it now for real repentance. Quickly responds regardless of the consequence. Mr. Kenneth Woos, the Greek scholar, says the verb speaks of intensity of purpose followed by intensity of effort toward the realization of that purpose. I've watched way too many people that have come to the altar and they've cried, but they didn't go back and make it right where they had made it wrong. 
There ought to be some kind of desire within our heart that says, Lord, I want to repent quickly. The Bible says even to agree with your adversary quickly. How much more should I agree with the Lord quickly? When the Lord convicts, don't wait, wait for next week. Don't wait and say, oh, I'll just put that off. When the Lord convicts, let's repent. Let's say, oh, God, I'm changing my mind. Get me back in line with you quickly. Quickly, I don't want to wait to... Here's the thing about it is that the weights and sin, if you let them pile up, it becomes more difficult to get them off. But if you'll re respond quickly to the Lord, you will find true repentance, changing your mind. Then he said, what clearing? What clearing? The Greek word here is a apologia, which is a legal term that refers to giving account of oneself. A person who truly repents doesn't hide their guilt, but comes clean. But comes clean. It is the idea that carries a judicial interrogative in which one is called to answer for the manner in which he was... Uh, uh, exercised his responsibility. It's like being put on the witness stand and said, do you take a, a, account for this? Are you responsible for this? Did you do this? Amen. Apologia says, I stopped the blame game. I'm not blaming anybody else. It's not because of my parents. It's not because I've been mistreated, so I acted this way. It's not anybody else's fault but me. It's me. You see, true repentance doesn't play the blame game, but rather it says, I want to apologia. I I want to be very clear and give an account of myself. Yes, yes, it was me. Yes, I did it. Oh, God, I need you. Yes, I messed up. Mm. Can I give you a word of encouragement if you'll just follow repentance? The Bible said in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word I want to I want to partner with with the word of clearing is the word confessing, admitting. That's what confess means. Admitting and acknowledging. Amen. Mr. Vine says to confess by the way of admitting one's guilt of what one has been accused of. The result is inward conviction. It is God's working in us. It may be in a very instant conviction comes, then confession comes, and repentance comes, and forgiveness comes. Hallelujah, where I can say, Adam, I'm gone from that. I, I don't have that anymore. Change is revealed. By coming clean, by coming clean, by coming clean. My father told the story of a missionary years ago in Japan that went out somewhere on, on a train to go see someone. And How many of you remember the deposits that used to be on the Coke bottles? I'm dating all of us right now. Maybe I should ask if anybody don't remember. And so he stopped at a store and he bought a, a bottle of pop, Coke, and failed to pay the five-cent deposit. Took that Coke with him, went home, 
in the middle of the night, God woke him up, convicting him over five cents. The Lord said to him, spoke in his spirit, said, you forgot to pay that man. You didn't pay that man five cents. Lord, I'll go in the morning. He said, no, get up now and go. It's dark. Get up now and go. I want you to go right now. So in the middle of the night, that man gets up and gets on the train, heads back to where that store was to pay the five-cent deposit. When he sits down on the train, he sits beside a Japanese man and strikes up a conversation. That man's on his way to commit suicide. And this brother begins to tell him about Jesus Christ and converts him right there on the train over a five-cent deposit. Amen. Do you realize today we need to be very careful to the calling of God and the convicting of God? We don't know what he's got on the other side. We don't know what he's got on the other side. Amen. I know there are certain things you can't move swiftly on when it comes to repentance uh, but our repentance nature ought to be quick uh, I realize that there ought to be some things that we, we got to give account of as well the writer of Proverbs says he that confesses he that covereth his sins Proverbs 28 13 he that covereth his sins shall not prosper but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy so he says what carefulness what clearing I'm talking about the revelation of repentance. And then he says, what indignation. True repentance will carry with it a healthy dose of righteous indignation, which means a hostility toward the sin that we once committed. It's not that we're angry for getting caught, but that we are moved by indignation over our own lawlessness. And rebellion. This is a sign of brokenness for the damage that we have caused. Have you ever felt the weight of your sin? Amen. And realized again, this is heavy upon me. It's not something you carry forever, but repentance helps you get rid of it. That you have that indignation inside of you. I'm angry at sin. The Bible says be angry and sin not. Well, the only way that I know of that you can be angry and sin not is to be angry at sin. Be angry at sin. Be angry at the tempter. Be angry at the temptation. Be angry. You've got a problem with pornography. You'll never get over it without having indignation. Without having righteous indignation. You've you, you got a problem with gossip. i got a problem with this or that. I've got to have a, a hostility, an anger towards that sin that says, no, you don't control me. No, you don't have the authority over me. I'm stopping. Here's what repentance will do. It not only change your mind, it'll change your opinion about that sin. You don't flirt with it anymore. You don't walk with it and say, oh, well, the Lord forgave me. Yeah, repentance says I'm not going back to it. I'm not going back to it. Then he said, what fear? What fear? If clearing that we spoke of earlier refers to confessing sin, then fear refers to the attitude that it means to forsake that sin. Not only do I have indignation, but I'm running from it. I'm running from it. I'm running from it. I'm not going to go hang around that. I'm not going to be around. Repentance causes one to simply say, I have a phobia about that. That's what the word means. I have a, what? I, I just don't want anything to do with it. I don't want any connection with it. I don't want to have anything to do with it. What fear? 
what vehement desire. I'm talking about repentance revealed. This is what repentance shows. Repentance produces a passion for growth and restoration. Repentance will produce a vehement desire to have a hunger for holiness and a commitment to the things of God, a commitment to live differently. Vehement desire steps up from the altar of repentance and says, you're looking at a different man. You're looking at a different mind. You're looking at a different way. It's not coming to an altar crying a few tears and going back and picking up the same thing that we had to uh, uh, ask God to forgive us of. But it's having a desire to say, oh God, I'm going to live in victory. I have a vehement desire to live in victory. Not just a phobia of it. Not just an indignation of it. But I have a desire to be an overcomer. I have a desire to be an overcomer. Then he says, what zeal? What zeal? The heart is pure. The shame is gone because of God's mercy and grace. Repentance then shows the zealous mind to live a lifestyle that is in line with his righteousness. Everyone can tell the difference. Everybody can tell the difference. Change is not hidden. The sin wasn't hidden, neither is the change. Have you ever had anybody walk up to you or tell you you're different? You're acting different. People who have repented do not try to hide what God has done for them. He set me free. He delivered me. Can I tell you what the Lord did? Six times, six times the Apostle Paul stood before people of renown, leaders, and he could have preached any message he wanted to, but this is what he said. One day I was riding a horse towards Damascus, and a bright light shined on me and changed. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm different now. I got a zeal and a passion to live before the Lord. Thank the Lord for that today. Would you clap your hands to the Lord about the power of repentance? If the words the Apostle Paul has been using here to describe repentance is like a, a meal, then the last two are the dessert and the last one is the cherry on top of the cake. He says, what revenge? Here's the one that ought to make us shout. We've gone through the process taking care of being truthful in our repentance, making things right doing things right. He says, what revenge? Somebody say revenge. How many of you would like to turn it back on the devil? What he's done to you over the years? How would you like to just turn it back on him? That's what Paul's talking about. Revenge is a powerful proof of the enemy. True repentance produces the fruit of carefulness, clearing, indignation, fear, desire, passion within the life of the believer. But when it comes to the enemy, there is a powerful result to your repentance. The Greek word here means to give justice to someone who has been wronged, to repay harm with harm. Our assumption that initial harm was unjustified and the retribution is therefore called for. You see, who started this mess is the old slew foot, the devil. 
From the very beginning, he was the one that helped promote and originate sin. Yes, man falls into temptation, but it is the one that brought that sin into the world to the very first. That what true repentance does is that it turns the table on the enemy of your soul. What he thought was going to destroy you now becomes your victory. What he thought he was going to get you with your lying, your cheating, conniving, I got a hold on you. No, you don't, devil. You don't have a hold on me. I have been forgiven and I have repented by God's grace I now walk in victory and so what you do every time if you had a habit that had you bound and you got the victory over it you need to remind the devil I'm free of that if you had a struggle with a sin and the devil put it on you you need to take it back and say this is no longer mine I'm not having it anymore I'm talking to you today about the power of revealed repentance. You see, repentance and getting revenge reminds the kingdom of darkness that it no longer has a hold on you. That's the ultimate goal that God wants in your life and my life is the vindication of God's grace and mercy lived out in a life that's broken the chains of darkness in their own world. For God's plan was Acts 26 and 18 to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins, the inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You want to turn the tables on the one that causes so much pain in your mind? Repent. Repent. Repentance means change. I don't want to reduce repentance to an exercise and slinging snot and dropping tears. I believe in emotional repentance, yes. But a lot of times it's nothing more than just an exercise in self-pity. But real change happens when you repent. Is there something in your life, this is, this, is, this is the point of where I'm at today, if there's something in your life that you can and have not made right, you ought to do it. You ought to do it. It may be a five-cent Coke bottle, but you ought to do it. I'm, 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 I'm preaching pastoral right now. If there's somebody that you need to apologize to from years gone by, you may have gotten it right with God, but you need to make it right. You're going to constantly have trouble with that until you make it right with those you can't. If you cannot make it right, then take it to the Lord and say, God, I, I, there's no way. I don't have, that person's dead or, or the situation doesn't give me. The, then I'm going to do something here today. I'm marking it down. I'm marking it down. I, 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 I want you to know I realize that I've held this for years and I can't be free from that until I say, I'm sorry, clearing, admitting, and being free. You want to be truly free? It's not that we go around confessing our so <laughs> There's no confessional booth in this church, y'all. Somebody say, thank God. 
That's very clear. We'll, we'll, we'll do a whole preaching and teaching on confessing your faults one to another. You got to get that in true context. But when it comes to sin, there must be a confessing that says, I'm, I did it. I'm wrong. Because this I know, your sins will find you out. Because if you had a mother like mine, I thought she had an a eye in the back of her head because she could catch me doing stuff that there's no way she could have seen me. But I learned if I'd admit, I'd save myself a spanking. Didn't learn it very often, Brother Matt. But what, what, what I'm trying to help you with and help us with is that understand repentance is not just about a moment of crying crocodile tears. It's about walking in a new life. It's about, I want to make this right. I want to make this right. I want to live right. I want to do right. Because I want to look at the devil and say, revenge on your sorry self. Get the victory over him. Stand with me, please. Is anybody here today that needs repentance? I do. I do. Repentance is just simply realigning myself with God on a daily basis, but then carrying it out with true repentance, with the right kind of spirit. Amen. Having an attitude towards sin, having an attitude towards the things of this flesh that wants to destroy me. I walk in victory. I walk in overcoming. Hallelujah. Would you lift up your voice right now and begin to thank the Lord, first of all, for his grace and mercy. Repentance alone is nothing without the grace and mercy of God. Repentance alone will do nothing to you or to me without his grace. I need his grace. But oh, when his grace shows me, godly sorrow comes in and convicts me. Lord, let me repent of it quickly. Let me repent of it carefully. Let me repent of it, Lord Jesus, with a diligent indignation. Lord, of the vehement desire, let me repent of it, Lord Jesus, in a right way, zealous to show your glory hallelujah I'm going to open this altar today anybody that wants to just come and say Lord I need to visit some things in my life God make it just make it right I want to make it right Lord with you by repentance by when I get up from a prayer I'm walking in it Hallelujah. I'm going to be careful. I want to be careful. I want the Lord Jesus to walk in your power. In the name of the Lord today. Hallelujah. I'm coming clean in victory. I'm coming clean in victory today. I am victorious. Hallelujah. Because I repented. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com. Hey,